Welcome back to the show, everyone. This is our first virtual interview. We're trying out a new platform today, so forgive us for any tech difficulties, but we're very excited to have an awesome guest today. Ryan Bakey is on the show. Ryan is a CPA. Excited to have a long conversation with him. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. Uh, headed to Austin tomorrow. Getting, it's getting a little cold here in Chicago a little bit. So yeah, I, uh, It's like the second they announced that fall is here, I feel like the weather responds. It just got colder. Yeah, it just knows. I took my coats out this week. which was Oh, uh, yeah. it's coat season. Yeah. Uh, That's very yeah. disappointing to hear. Well, yeah. what can you do? Well, at least you're fortunate, Ryan. What's in Austin? What's bringing you down there? So I'm going to attend a real estate tax conference and well, it's tax and legal. So we're going to talk about uh, from a tax perspective, like how can you optimize your real estate investing uh, and stay away from Uncle Sam? Because the way I the way I see investing is you're just on this roadmap, like you're traveling on the highway and like what makes you stop, right? It's having to stop for gas and tolls and gas yeah. and tolls is, are basically the IRS. And the more money that we can keep and reinvest in our business, in our real estate journey, uh, the, the quicker we're going to build wealth. Uh, so we're going to talk about that, and then we're also going to talk about okay, now that you uh, do have this vehicle, how do you protect it? And so that's where the legal side and the legal structure, entity structure, and planning comes into play. So I'm going to be learning all about that. I'm going to see all my other CPA like nerd friends, and it'll be a great time. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that. That's amazing. It, well, a we're all for educating yourself in any capacity and furthering your knowledge so you can deliver better client services. So that's awesome. But that sounds like a, an incredible delivery for your clients. So I'm excited to get into our conversation today. I think where, where we like to start with our guests, particularly because you're new on our show and you're, you might be new to us, uh, give us an introduction. You know, who are you? How did you find your way to this world that you're in now? And, and you know, give us the background of Ryan. Yeah, so I went to school for accounting and finance. I went to, to a school in Palos Heights uh, on the south side. And I studied accounting and finance and so I have a really good background of crunching numbers, running profit and loss, doing time value of money, figuring out, hey, if I invested $2,000 every single year, how much would that be worth? And when I got out of college, what I learned, and I went to work at Deloitte Consulting, so I was doing big four accounting, I was tax compliance and advisory work for hedge funds, investment banks, real estate syndications. And the, I would say the two things that I learned is, number one is that, when I was in college, I learned, hey, you need to get out of debt as quick as possible and you need to start investing in retirement accounts. And it wasn't until I got into the practice and I was seeing what rich and wealthy people were doing, they were getting in debt to buy income producing assets and funnel, you know, businesses, real estate, et cetera, and they were getting the hell out of retirement accounts. So I had this like huge paradigm shift where I went from Dave Ramsey style, get out of debt, scorch earth, you need to like sell everything, including the kids, to here's what rich people are actually doing. They're using leverage, they're using debt and tax strategy in order to become wealthy. So that was one of the things that I learned. The other thing that I learned is that rich and wealthy people, they live by an entirely different code than, than the normal person does. Like I was seeing some things that where, for example, they would take out 15 year loans, uh, construction loans, or they would take out 15 year interest only balloon payment on the back end loans. And they would just refinance after like year 12 or year 13, and they would never end up paying the principal. 
uh, the principal, the value of the, the building or the project is skyrocketed in equity. So they could either leverage that, borrow against that, restructure their loan, and it's like, wait a minute, these guys are, ne number one, they're never actually paying the principal on this loan. And number two, the interest that they are paying is tax deductible. So it's just like they live by an entirely different uh, code. And what I, what I took from that is that I was already helping people who were rich and wealthy become even more rich and wealthy. And I wanted to help the person, not the everyday person, but I wanted to help that one person in a particular family tree that was going to change their family tree. I wanted to help that one person that saw like, you know, maybe maybe it's not for me working 45 years of my life for somebody else and not owning any sort of income producing assets. I, I made it my mission to help that person that's going to change their family tree forever. And that's the type of work that I do now. So uh, full-time CPA, I do consulting solely for real estate investors only. Love and that. so I'll do real estate investor only. What I mean by that is their day job or fix and flips, wholesale, construction, management, um, but they have to own rental property in order for us to work together because I blend both of those. I blend the ordinary business activities and I blend your real estate and I tell you how those two operate together. Uh, that's what I do primarily for my, my day job, but I do have that passion for accounting and finance and helping personal finance. And so you'll see on my podcast, I talk about a lot about just generational wealth building, using retirement accounts, using stocks, real estate, et cetera, to help somebody out and help them change their family tree. So that's amazing. So a couple of things stand out to me literally this morning. You can't even make this up. I got a call from a Dave Ramsey sales rep talking about wanting to sell and get me to be like a Chicago referral real estate agent. And I'm thinking in my head, I just saw him on YouTube talking about how buying a home is such a bad idea right now because you shouldn't take on debt. And it's just laughable that now we're wrapping that conversation around. But I love what you said about changing something in the family tree. And I couldn't agree more that I hear it all the time. I see it all the time that you see real estate investors, particularly investors that scale to massive amounts of either units under contract or just money management under wealth. They use the loans in front of them intelligently and they use the debt intelligently to leverage their growth out, right? And Derek, I'm sure you get this question all the time. People are like, well, who the hell would sign up for a balloon loan? Like that's such a dumb thing, who'd do that? And then meanwhile, Ryan's here talking about the prime example of like why you could do that and really use it as a vehicle to build your wealth if you have a plan and you're smart about it because you definitely don't want to get stuck with the balloon payment. For sure. You definitely don't want to get stuck with one of those. And obviously, I never warn against taking out something like that. But you need to have a plan in place, right? Just like Ryan had mentioned, they're refinancing, they're flipping those. People take advantage of, the, of that stuff all the time, right? But like you had mentioned, you never want to get ballooned. Okay? Yeah. Uh, Ryan, I was kind of looking at your website and outside of the podcast, I was kind of drawn to like the blogs, right? Things like the income versus equity, deeper dive with real estate investing. I want to know, like, how do you come up with those topics? Are there people that are reaching out or is this just stuff that you think is going to be beneficial for, for your consumers and clients and stuff like that? Yeah, part of, part of it is stuff that I've learned over the years, whether that's in my CPA practice or actually doing it myself. And me wanting to project as much of that knowledge out to the world so everybody can understand. And then some of that is getting those questions. So you talked about, and I do have a podcast that's solely on this topic of income versus equity and why they are different. And so, for example, your fix and flippers, your wholesalers, mm -hmm. those are income-based activities. And when you have an income-based activity, it's hard to offset that 
with losses or other business ventures, right? So your income, you're always going to be stuck paying taxes if you're in that income. It's like the, if you ever read uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad or mm -hmm. the cash flow quadrant, he talks about, you know, employee, uh, self-employed, business owner, and then investor. And it all the, it's not, what I tell people is, it's not how much money you make, but it's how you make it. It's the vehicle in which you're making your money. Because if you're making your money, you know, half a million dollars at a CPA firm or as a real estate agent versus making half a million dollars for rental properties through passive income, what, those two tax brackets can be totally different. And in Nashville, uh, back in June, I spoke in front of a thousand people and I gave them this story of when I was 18, I was at my first accounting firm working and I did a tax return for a, a married couple who made about $250,000. Uh, they just worked W-2s. And then I did a tax return for a single guy in Chicago here that owned about 18 apartment buildings. Uh, he was on pace to, to net over $400,000 a year from his apartment buildings, yet he paid less in taxes than the married couple who made half that he did. Yeah. So he's single, which means he's in a higher tax bracket, and he made double the amount of money that they did. I asked my boss, I'm like, how does this happen? Like, why is this possible? And he goes, it's because he invests in real estate. And ever since then, I've been trying to figure out and do everything and understand that why does this guy pay nothing compared to your hard, you know, your working couple that's paying double than he is. And it's because income versus equity. And so when you're a real estate agent or a fix and flipper wholesaler, you're making income. It's hard to shelter that versus equity. When you take a burr method, for example, like let's say I flip a property, I get it rehab, I sell it for a hundred thousand dollar profit. That's a taxable event that year that I go to sell it. However, if I'm doing burr, which for those who don't know, it's buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat, a burr is not a taxable transaction. So in that same scenario, I still increase my net worth by a hundred thousand, but I'm taking a refinance. Refinancing, the IRS doesn't treat loans as taxable events. So I'm able to add value to that property, pull my cash out, assuming that my ARV is gonna be higher than what I got in it for, and that's not a taxable event at all. So there's no income event there. So whereas person A who sold the fix and flip is paying, you know, maybe up to 40% on their 100 grand, person B, same 100 grand uh, net worth realization, but zero taxes that year. And then on top of that, the investor is getting passive rental income which is not subject to the same taxes that you show up if you work at W-2 or self-employed. Mm -hmm. And there's all these other things on the back end of like depreciation and capital gains that the investor is able to take advantage of that the person who's just having income activities is not able to. And so that's why I say it doesn't matter how much you make, but it's how you make it. Yeah, I like that. And man, I'm going to jump in here too, just because you kind of touched on one piece too. 1031 exchanges are something that we run into our industry all the time, especially I ran into a couple of them this year. Talk a little bit about how you're kind of using that as a benefit or how you're coaching people into using those as well too. So that's, that's awesome. So one thing to note with your fix and flips, if you're in an ordinary business activity, fix and flips do not qualify for 1031 exchange treatment because you have to have it as an investment property. So what we typically see is, you know, an investor will have a property, they'll be renting it out for two, three years, maybe even 10 or 15 years. Like I've been working with a ton of people from California that bought a, you know, a single family home for 60 grand when the dinosaurs roamed the earth and now it's worth 800,000. <laughs> and they're looking, and they're looking to get out of it. Well, how do you do that in a, in a non-taxable way? And what the 1031 exchange does is it does not eliminate the tax bill. 
All it is doing is deferring it and kicking the can down the road. So let's use that example of California. If I bought a property for 100,000, and let's say now it's worth a million, if I was to sell it outright, I would have a $900,000 capital gain at a 20% tax bracket. I'm paying almost $200,000 to Uncle Sam to sell that property, right? So then I get to keep my other 800, but I had to send a $200,000 check to Uncle Sam. What the 1031 exchange does is it says, okay, you're gonna sell that property for a million dollars, and so as long as you take those proceeds and roll it into more real estate, we're going to alleviate you of your $200,000 tax burden and push that down the road. And when you, I do have another blog, it's called Buy, Borrow, Die. It's the ultimate tax strategy. It sounds very morbid, but what you're able to do is buy assets as they're appreciating in value, borrow against the appreciated value of those or defer using 1031 exchange. And then at the end of the day, if you pass away with assets in your name, your beneficiaries inherit them tax-free. Tax-free with what's called a step-up in basis. So this is literally how you build generational wealth because you're buying income-producing assets. They're going up in value. They're feeding you now. They're feeding your family now and later. You're always able to borrow against them. And then at the end of the day, you're always able to get out of the tax burden if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the 1031 exchange to go back, as long as you take those proceeds and reinvest it in those businesses that it's, it's going to benefit you. And the reason the reason why this is so important is time value of money. And so this comes back to my finance background where let's say I'm a, you know, I'm Ryan and so I'm in a 30, I'm in a 40% tax bracket. I'm able to defer my gain. I'm able to save 40%. Even if I have to pay that 40% five, 10 years later, I'm able to take those $200,000 of tax savings, reinvest that. And now I'm going to have more income and more assets to ultimately pay the tax bill if I have to, if I get stuck with it. So mm-hmm. tax strategy and that sort of planning is all understanding time value of money. What is a dollar worth today? What can it be reinvested into? And the 1031 is a great vehicle to do that. That's awesome. I think I, I have clients, particularly savvy investors who look to utilize the 1031 as often as possible. And I think your your point is exactly right. I mean, they try to hold these assets not only so that, you know, they're appreciating in value and they're gaining equity, but because they create assets that they can borrow against down the line. And that's when Derek and I start talking to savvy investors who have a lot of properties. They come to us with a portfolio of assets that they can borrow against when they're looking to acquire future properties. And we know in the background, and you're proving on this podcast, that they're ending up writing off the depreciation, a lot of everything, I mean, everything around those assets, right? To the point where, unfortunately, your your regular W-2 or even your contractor or real estate agent who's trying to keep up with the income savings that somebody can do if they're passively investing in real estate has. It's just an, an advantage that most uh, wealthy investors have figured out at this point. Mm-hmm. At this point, Dow, you, your background, obviously, you sort of got right into the tax world. And it, and it seems that <laughs> it, it seems like you figured out within that bracket, right? Because everybody has to pay taxes. It's sort of like it's an, a natural cause for everyone. But you figured out very quickly that you wanted to focus on the real estate side of it because it was such a vehicle to build wealth. Is that is that really what your sort of like aha moment was to start focusing in on this? Yeah, it was it was that idea that you're able to I think above everything else, real estate can lead to an early retirement plan. And I say real estate is not a get rich quick scheme, but it is a get rich scheme 
in the long term, if you are playing it right, like you're always dollar cost averaging, you're always analyzing deals, even if you're like, hey, I'm gonna sit on the sidelines because the rates are a little bit high right now, you should still be running numbers, getting those reps in to determine if it's oh, a good deal or not. Investors run deals like they're practicing for an NFL game, right? It's just like deal, yeah. deal, deal, deal. And then eventually you hit one where you're like, oh, wait, the numbers make sense. And that's when you, you know, you're, yes. yeah. Matt, don't you love when they send you around to a dozen different properties on the yeah. weekend? <laughs> I, I say this all the time, and some real estate agents don't understand it, but working with an investor is a different ballgame, man, because depending on what their strategy is, I mean, I work with some investors that they're lowballing to the extent of like 40% below list price on some of these homes or more. And yeah. it's like, you know, I will represent them, but you have to know what you're going through <laughs> in terms of the showings, the cycles, the negotiations, right? So yeah, on the on the real estate side and the lending side, it's very different working with investors. That's what my firm specializes in is we actually don't wait until the end of the year to look at everything. Right. I'm actively working with people as the year is going on, as they're acquiring deals to say, this is what it looks like for your tax situation, right. your family, right? Like, okay, the, you know, buying this property is going to generate you X amount in cash flow per month, but it's also going to alleviate you of this tax burden. Or, right. you know, I, I help consult with people who are, you know, exiting maybe multifamily or long-term rentals and looking to get into short-term rentals. How can we, on the front end, what can we do to make sure that you're able to tra make that transition without having to pay any taxes or very little taxes? What's like a what, what's a nightmare in your industry? What what what's one of the worst things that you've had to deal with and gotten through? And maybe give us a story that you know somebody who is investing and is looking to do what you're talking about, build wealth, may need to be wary of. Is there anywhere where you've seen somebody you know overextend themselves? Yeah, I would say so. There's um, the difference between the rich and wealthy and and like middle income or like lower income class is rich and wealthy people know how much money they're going to owe or get back on April 15th before April 15th. It's the lower middle to the poorer class people that find out how much they're going to owe or get back on April 15th. That's when they find out is when they go to file their return. And so if you're smart about that, you know that you need to be planning and doing that all up front, like while the year is going on. So we're still doing plans for clients. We still have three months left, three, you know, three months left to mm -hmm. plan around transactions. And that's what you have to understand is that it's based on a calendar year. So only the actions that you do between January 1st and December 31st are going to apply. So if you wait to reach out until after December, you know, you're already out of luck on 90% of the tax planning opportunities because it would have had to be done before year end. Right. As far as night nightmares go, um, we'll circle back to the 1031 exchange. When you're doing a 1031 exchange, you have to use a qualified intermediary, which is an independent third party that basically oversees your transaction. So those proceeds from the sale of your property go into that intermediary's bank. It will show up on the closing disclosure or the settlement statement that these proceeds are going to this uh, 1031 intermediary. If they do not, the 1031 is void. So if you sell the property and then try to loop in an expert or an intermediary, you're, it's, it's done and that's a taxable gain. And I've seen people sell properties for six, $700,000 gains and they're like, oh, what's this uh, 1031 thing about? I heard about this. How do I do that? And it's like, you're shit out of luck. Like, you, you needed to do that. It's not retroactive. And, yeah. Like, like, just this week, I heard somebody do that. They, on one of these Facebook groups, they're like, yeah, I sold a property for a $400,000 gain. I didn't know that I needed to have an intermediary up front. I'm like, well, I could have told you that. I probably wouldn't even have charged you for that. 
But it, uh, I think it's preach on this show having your resources yeah. in advance so often because you need somebody to help you plan before you do stuff. Like, can you imagine getting stuck with six hundred thousand taxable income that you thought, like, oh shit, I I could have totally avoided that. That's we ridiculous. We had a situation last year with the 1031 exchange, and Ryan, you could probably talk to this, where the two people named on the 1031 exchange were a husband and wife, but the only person buying the new property was just the husband. So it was a huge, huge hiccup at the end, and we had to go back and forth with that intermediary just to be like, hey, listen, she's going to be on title. She's not on the mortgage. So we got through it, but it was it was a scary couple hours for not only myself, certainly the buyer as well, where they thought yeah. they might have like, you know, screwed something up a little bit. That's because the person selling the property also has to be the same uh, person buying the new right. one or the same right. entity or the same Everything tax match. Right? Right. Yeah, one-to-one. -one. And yeah. so, like, I've seen that go both ways. Like, I've seen somebody who bought a property back in the day, got married, and then is now buying the new property with a spouse who wasn't even in the picture on the front end. How does all that work? That's why it's definitely uh, beneficial. And I normally defer that to the 1031 experts for those type of situations. Yeah. Uh, but that's another one of those things where if you're not doing your research and your and the diligence, you could be caught uh, frustrated or you know potentially blown out of the water of your transaction or your deal. So. Well, you know, we, we've talked, I think, quite a bit about your professional side. You obviously you are running a lot. You've got the podcast, you've got the blog, you've got your just traditional services that you're offering to your clients. At this point, for anybody watching, is there is there anything that you would ask to this audience? Is there something that you are seeking in terms of help with your business? Is there anything that you want to just ask to the general listener? Yeah, if you, if you love real estate and you want to learn more about the tax strategy, the ins and outs, like how do you really uh, use this and scale this to build wealth, you check out my podcast. It's on Spotify, Apple Music. I even have it on YouTube. It's just the Learn Like a CPA show. I keep the episodes very short. They're much, much, most of the time, they're no longer than 15 minutes because I want them to be very informative and actionable. So as soon as you listen to that podcast, you can take that and apply that to your business and your real estate. And I want to help as many people possible through that sort of platform. Uh, so I have the, and then uh, again, feel free to reach out to me on all social medias. Also, it's just well, at well, learn like a CPA to where people can find you because it, it's awesome what you're doing. And obviously, uh, it goes without saying that I love the social media side of things. So uh, this is definitely something that's up your alley. You'll always benefit by having real estate in your portfolio, no matter what type of investor you are, mm -hmm. whether you're working W two and you're buying real estate or. Because what I tell people is the name of the game is how can you get all your income from that earned or active bucket from your day job and funnel that to passive income through real estate as quick as possible. Because the sooner you do that, when you look at a rich and wealthy person's tax return, they don't have any income coming from the W-2 or the earned income side. All of their income is coming through from passive activities, either businesses that they might own or real estate ventures, et cetera. So that's, that's one thing. But... When you are a real estate professional, so something like you, Matt, mm -hmm. where your active trader business is helping people in the real estate field, there's 11 different uh, activities that qualify for this. You have the golden goose egg of the tax code in the fact that you're able to uh, do your fix and flips, wholesales, real estate agent uh, commissions. As long as you're buying enough rental property, aside from what you're doing in your day job, you're able to use the losses from the rental properties to offset your business income. And I see this. So I have a client out in Arizona that does the same thing you do, Matt. 
uh, you know, represents buyers and sellers, but also owns real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollars net income, and they're able to completely offset all of it. We're talking saving eighty thousand dollars in taxes. So as long as they're buying enough real estate, and I talk about this uh, in my podcast, like how do you qualify for this? But it's known as real estate professional status. And so if you're full time in real estate, now unfortunately I don't qualify because the type of work that I do is not considered um, active in a trader business. Yeah. But for somebody like you or the agents out there listening to this, or the wholesalers, fix and flippers, contractors who are running their their business, their day job, but also buying rental properties, you have unlocked a cheat code when it comes to the tax code. And it is um, very authoritative. It is documented. This is a uh, tried and true uh, method to reducing your tax liability. So I had mentioned that that was one of my smaller clients. I have a client that uh, W-2, millions of dollars. Their spouse qualifies as a real estate professional. So they're a W-2, they work at a bank, a couple million dollar W-2. Their spouse is able to qualify as this real estate professional because uh, that spouse is managing all their rental properties, their portfolio, their apartment buildings, et cetera. And they're able to save half a million dollars a year in taxes by doing this strategy. So if you're full-time in real estate, you need to look into real estate professional status. I have uh, three or four podcasts on my channel dedicated to this. You have to really take a deep dive and make sure you bring your uh, pen and paper, but definitely check that out um, because it's awesome. If you want to take it a step further, I did a boot camp session where I did one day and I taught people everything they need to know about real estate tax. You can find that on my um, website, my Instagram, et cetera. That, That, of course, has a fee. That's on the real estate professional side of things, but one thing that I'm seeing lately, and this is this is where it's like really awesome, okay, is that let's say you're a doctor, a nurse, uh, work in tech, uh, a CPA, and you can't qualify as a real estate professional. Short-term rentals, Airbnbs, VRBOs, um, you know, seven-day or less stays, those have the same tax benefits as being a real estate professional. So if you buy a short-term rental, even me as a CPA, if I buy a short-term rental and I'm able to prove the seven day or less stay and I'm able to prove a few things, I'm able to take the losses from the short-term rental and offset my W-2. And for a a single person making 200, 250 grand a year that's buying a half million dollar cabin, a half million dollar short-term rental, I'm seeing on average $40,000 in tax savings per property. And if if you take your net income from that property, add your tax savings, look at what that does to boost your cash on cash return, your metrics, et cetera. And I will always tell clients, and I'll always tell people, you should be buying real estate because the deal makes sense and it pencils in on paper. But these tax benefits, when you're talking about saving 20, 30, 40, $50,000 on a property, depending on the purchase price, that's just like gravy, right? Because I'm here Here it is, You know, I just, I just ran a deal. The cash on cash was like 27%. And then you add in the fact that I'm saving 40% per dollar on taxes. And now my 27% cash on cash boosts up to 42%. Right, right. And so this type of stuff is, again, what allows you to convert your earned income through your your W-2 job, your full-time business, to that passive bucket as quick as possible. And it helps you save so much money on taxes. And so if you're curious about that, yeah, go check out my podcast. I have a few episodes on these topics. Again, if you're uh, full-time in real estate, you need to look into real estate professional status. Um, if you have Airbnbs or short-term rentals, you need to look into the, I call it the short-term rental loophole, but that's what it is. That's excellent. I, I think any I, we do have, obviously, a lot of uh, real estate professionals in our network, and I know that the common question I get from agents is just like, 
it's all about the tax side of things. Nobody knows how to structure themselves. Nobody knows how to protect themselves. Most people don't keep in touch with an accountant. If they do, it's at the end of the year. I mean, shit, I even know people who are still filing like, you know, paper receipts in a file cabinet. So uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. And I think that you're, you actually hit it on the head. I couldn't encourage it more that everybody should be looking at the idea of finding passive income. Real estate is one of the most consistent and reliable ways to do that. And the tax benefits are immeasurable, right? It's just unbelievable what you can save on the back end writing off these assets. So uh, that's, pr that's pretty incredible. Check out that content for sure. And we'll make sure that we put links in the show notes here so that everybody can find that in a quick and easy way. Uh, Derek, any questions for you just on the, on the lending side of things? When I think about people applying for rental properties, what, what's the most common you know, type of product that they're deploying to buy these properties? So first and foremost, Matt, you can always tell when it's tax season for real estate agents because they come in with like backpacks and boxes full of, full of receipts just falling out on their way. No in, kidding, right? yeah. I'm sure you've seen it. <laughs> um, in terms of like the investing in terms of my end, what we often see when people want to take advantage of rental income is the multi-units, obviously, yeah. right? Since we're originating mortgages, we're talking anything four units and below, okay? Five units and above is going to be commercial. But, I mean, we can use that income to offset the payment, right? So someone who may be able to qualify for a three, $400,000 unit, a single unit, might be able to qualify for six, seven, eight hundred thousand if it's in a decent area, right? Uh, going back to what Ryan had mentioned too, like I, you know, I review a lot of people's tax returns as well too. And whenever you're reviewing someone who's got a boatload of money, whether it be in savings or investment, their tax returns, at least to myself, who's not a trained CPA, looks like hieroglyphics, right? But a lot of that is because it's just loaded with passive income, whether it be from investments, but also this rental income as well too. That's awesome. So I think, you know, Ryan, when you, if you have clients coming to you, let's say that they maybe have started the investment process or are just beginning to think about it, you know, who's your ideal client in the world? Is it someone who's already got properties and they're looking to refine their, their strategy? Or is it somebody who's looking to start that path and you like to get them started on the journey? So that's the best part because I have offerings that serve every single type of real estate investor. So, and the way I have it modeled is I have it based on a tier system. And so let's just say tier one is gonna be the ideal client that works one-on-one -on -one directly with me. Tier two client, a tier two person is gonna be somebody that, you know, maybe they could qualify to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, but I still have to do some further digging. And then tier three is like, hey, they're just getting started. They wanna learn a little bit more. Maybe they only have one property under their belt. Probably not a good fit to work one-on-one -on -one with me directly, but here's all the value that I could provide to that person. Free podcast, free YouTube, everything's free. The social media, uh, they could access the, I'm working on a course slash book, but they could also, they could access my bootcamp recordings or attend one of my live events. So I have offerings for no matter what's, uh, where you're at in real estate investing, I have some sort of product, whether it's paid for or free that can help you. That's excellent. That's awesome. And we'll make sure, like I said, to link everything because I, I, I'm all for that. I think everybody needs to seek continued education. Everybody needs to find resources that they can trust. And if we can help you connect with somebody who's building a portfolio, has a portfolio and is looking to refine their tax strategy, that's a win win from this. So, uh, so I mean, that, that's probably as good a transition as any, I think, for you. You're an investor, right? I mean, you're, you, you own properties on your own, correct? 
Yeah, so I own I own four currently, um, two long-term rentals, two short-term rentals. I am working on the biggest deal of my life. It's a $4 million campground. Uh, well, it's, it used to be a campground. We're, we're buying the, we bought the raw land. We're doing construction on it to make it a glamping resort. So <laughs> it's going to have uh, up to 18 glamping tents. It's going to have two single-family homes. It's going to have a little uh, – it's going to have a pool. It's going to have RV hookups. It sits on about 13 acres of land a little bit south of the Ozarks. Very and cool. uh, that's all that I can really say about it now. But that is the biggest deal that I've ever I've ever done. The the next smallest deal that I've done was three hundred and sixty five thousand purchase price. So I'm because what I learned you know in the small time doing it is that whether you buy like a three hundred thousand dollar house or a six hundred thousand dollar house, there's not that much more work that needs to go into it from like the renting side of it to where if you can swing with a bigger bat or swing with a bigger hammer, you're able to. Um, achieve more returns and get to where you want to be quicker. And so I started working now on bigger deals. Um, Good for so you. That's what I I'm working that, on now. That's a, that's a hard way to do that. I know a lot of agents who leverage their business the same way, right? Just tackle bigger deals and that's a quick way to grow. And so, uh, and I think particularly with real estate, there's so many different ways to find creative financing options if you need it or partners or whatever it might be to help you tackle these massive deals, you know? Yeah, and uh, what the site turns out like as well too. Yeah, now well, I mean, yeah, now we definitely want to see the site for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you you bring up a good point. So when I was in Nashville, there was another guy speaking. Uh, his name is TJ Tajani, and he does a lot of Airbnb, short term rental stuff. But he said in real estate, you need three things. He said he said you need time, you need experience, and you need capital. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to bring all three. You're if you have all three, great, go buy the deal yourself. Right. But if you don't have all three, leverage other people in your network and learn how to use that. So for me, it's like, I have the capital and I kind of have the experience, but I don't have the time. Let me go find somebody that boots on the ground that has the time to run this. Okay, it's a great partnership. Or like what I'm getting into pretty soon here, hopefully by the end of the next year, I'm gonna run my first syndication uh, where I have the time and the experience but maybe I don't wanna bring my own capital, so let me leverage my network. Let, they have the capital, but they don't have the time and the experience, and they wanna leverage me. Real estate's all about networking and relationships, and I didn't even really cover this in the beginning, but it's the same reason why the Congress and the government allows you to get these tax benefits and breaks is because they realize that by you buying real estate, everybody's getting paid, mm -hmm. right? You have agents getting paid at the commission table, insurance brokers, you have the lenders, the title company, the people that are renting your property are benefiting from it. If you have Airbnbs, the people that are going to that location to stay there, it's gonna boost that that local economy. The government realizes that, that piece of it where it's like, it, it's good for the economy, and that's why they benefit you, uh, giving you those tax breaks. That's awesome. I, I mean, there's no sense in fighting the system, right? So you might as well get involved in this as best you can. And I, I do think that that's accurate. You want to be seeking every opportunity to get active as best you can, right? And just find an opportunity to get engaged in real estate because the rewards are always there. I mean, it's home buying is always rewarded. I guess about the only thing finding us right now is interest rates. So, uh, but that, and that, that in some ways is, is unrelated to the value of deals. And we already talked about that you can always refinance out, right? So um, that's, that's fantastic. So it's incredible to hear that within 
I mean, within four projects, you're scaling from, I assume, like single family homes, 400,000, 375 and below now to this massive campground. So if nothing else, it's it's pretty inspirational to see how quickly you can grow there. I mean, in, in that process, has there been anything that you've stumbled over, any hiccups that you think would be beneficial for our audience to learn from? You know, what has been sort of your biggest growth trigger moment uh, through the process that you think somebody else could benefit from? Um, so I'll say two things. One of it, I would say you're never going to grow and be a bigger fish if you're swimming in a small bowl. And so if you're hanging around people in a room that, you know, they're, maybe they're friends from school or whatever, but they're not investors, you have to get, you're the smartest person in the room. And so you'll never achieve anything greater because you're the smartest person. You got to get yourself in a room of other people, maybe a little bit older, the people that are, you know, more experienced, get in their circle and ask them questions because that experience is like invaluable because if they've already done a few deals, they've already seen things that you haven't and they're going to be able to provide you some advice. So for example, like, and to, to explain that compounding effect, right? It's like my first, I bought my first deal last year and I bought three deals this year. Right. And going to be a campground. Yeah. So like when I, cause I thought I was like, Oh, I'll just buy one every single year for, you know, it's all I'm this age, whatever. Everyone, everyone, everyone thinks the first property is the hardest. I think the second property is the hardest. A lot of people buy the first and then they get stuck. Yeah. It's like, you know, you got to keep going. You got to keep moving, keep the momentum, build the equity. Like, but it is hard. Right. And, but the other, the, the other side of that coin, I guess, is that there are people like you who get that first bug under them. And it's like, Oh, I can rapidly grow this. Right. I can do yeah. this much faster than I've been doing it. I would say, so it's, it's that, that fishbowl mentality of it is, is huge. It is power. Yeah, for sure. Pra practically speaking, one of the things that I learned, so I, I started off with house hacking, right? So if you're going to go that route, especially if you're using FHA financing, you have to understand those rules when it comes to like, what is FHA allowable and what's not. Um, one of the things that I'm almost made the mistake of is when I was under contract on the property, I ordered the appraisal right away before I had the inspection done. Oh, and yeah. so at that point, it's like you pay 500 for the appraisal, but if the inspection report comes back and it's like, um, yeah, this property is bad, you know, renegotiate with the seller, whatever. If for some reason you don't close on that property, like you lose out that $500 of the appraisal. Now, luckily I work with somebody who allowed me to take that appraisal fee and apply it to my next property. But that right there, like 400, could have been a 400, $500 mistake just based on timing of, okay, property's under contract. There's a five day attorney review period in Illinois. You have to get the inspection. There's always the appraisal and the inspection contingencies. That was one of the things that I learned. So now when I'm coaching my friends to go buy their first house hack, I'm like, you got to do this, this, this in that order. Don't make a mistake because I almost did. Right. That's on the, I would say that's on the multifamily side. I could talk so much about um, long term rental multifamily. Same thing with the, you know, if you're running multifamily, let's say you're buying a four unit, check the side of the house before you even visit it, check the side. Does it have four electric and gas meters or does it have one? Because if you're buying a four unit and only has one meter, it means you're paying the bill and you have to push the cost down on your tenants. If it's, if it's got five meters, that means that they're paying their own bills and there's one shared meter, that means you're paying like the hallway or the auxiliary, auxiliary lights, right? Right. Simple things. On the short-term rental side, again, because I've done both, and I could tell, I could speak from both, is it's a whole different ball game. The biggest thing with short-term rentals is going to be the regulations in that area. What is the city? What is the town? Oh, what do they say? We know that well, right? Our Airbnb yes. regulations are not great. What do they say about rentals? Yeah. And 
like this, I was, I was almost pulling the deal on this trigger down south in Arkansas and it got stuck because I would never be able to get a short-term rental permit because of the parking. There was not enough parking to fit the 10 to 12 guests that I was intending to have. I, I went through lending. I went through, I, I had attorneys review my contract because I had specific performance obligations that the seller needed to do. I could have averted all of that if I would have just known from the start that, hey, there's not enough parking here to fit 12 right. people. So right. that multifamily that you wanted to buy, it can't even be used as a short-term rental. If I would have just known that from the get-go, I would have saved probably like 10 hours worth of due diligence. Right. So. Yeah, I, yeah, research, research, research. Damn, yeah. Why waste the time? And Ryan, to make you feel better, I think a lot of people make that mistake where they order the appraisal before the inspection. That way, I don't even order them until we get the inspection. Oh, I, I, Derek and I do a lot of deals together, and we're constantly like, look, just wait. Like, We're going to do the inspection within a few days. We're going to have the report back. At least you can have that gut moment of, are you proceeding? Like, it, was it bad enough yeah. that you're not? You know, that's the question. Especially FHA. Yeah, especially FHA. Yeah. They don't, see, they don't teach you that. They don't teach you that. You have to learn that unless you're <laughs> friends with people. Way. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You're right. And it, and it adds up, right? Because you can make these mistakes on several properties and all of a sudden it was a few hundred dollars there and a few hundred dollars here. And all of a sudden you're out a couple grand just for the sake of trial running properties, right? And like that's not where investors want to be. Save that money to be put elsewhere in your portfolio. So yeah, I do think it's, it's all this comes back to really the simple premise of like, know your team, have your accountant, have your lender, have your real estate agent, have everybody in place so that you have a strategy and you're all on the same page, right? That's how you skip these mistakes. That's how you learn. And to your point, I mean, I preach this all the time. I think I just released a video this week on this about like the, the proximity of the people around you or who is in your proximity. That is who you become. That's who you learn from. That's who you grow with. So if you're not in a room full of people accomplishing what you want to do, in this case, with investors who are well leveraged and are, fi are, are figuring out tax strategies to save money and are continuing to invest to grow their portfolio, you, you got to figure out a way to get in that room, right? Figure out right. where that is, if it's groups, if it's a, an individual just meetup of people, whether it's just contacts like the people on this podcast, like however that is. I mean, you and I actually connected because uh, a, a really good friend of mine, I think, was contacting you and he just started up uh, his first um, STR short-term rental property and he's in the process of setting that up, which is awesome, right? So I think there are people in our spheres that we know who are doing these things already and if you're not asking the right questions or talking about it, you, you probably just don't understand how successful it's really been for them. All right. That's awesome. Well, uh, you know, best of luck with you. I, sincerely, uh, we, we got to see, like, I'm going to call it uh, Camp Ryan now. Like, I, I got to see when this launches. Like, we got RVs, we got tents, we got glamping. I was just, I was thinking here, my girlfriend and I had a discussion about what could you do if you bought a lot in Chicago? And that's my mind when I was like, glamping, right? Like, you do smaller tents, and but it's, I guess it's not as luxurious in a lot in Chicago as it is in the Ozarks, so. It might be a little too loud to glamp here in Chicago. <laughs> it might be just a tad loud. Well, uh, as we wind down here, I guess I'll just open it up to you, Ryan. Is there anything that you want to leave our audience with, uh, you know, last closing thoughts for everyone? Yeah, I would say I would say right now a lot of people are hesitant to invest because a lot of people saw what happened in 2020 and 2021 where prices went up, interest rates were down, and, like, everybody was making money. Um, and so people are hesitant to do deals. And I just filmed a podcast yesterday on this. If the deal still cash flows and it still makes sense, even at a higher interest rate, you're an investor. You're not. You're not. Um, 
you're not a trader and you're not a person who's timing the market. It's the same thing with stocks and retirement accounts. So uh, Fidelity did a study. They said from 2000 to 2020, the number one performing account was people was debt accounts. People who were dead had the number one performing uh, retirement account was, wow. or uh, investing account. The number two performer was people who forgot their login password. <laughs> so if it tells you anything about investing, it's that just set it and forget it. Yeah. And so I applied that in like stocks and retirement where it's like, hey, here's how much I'm investing per year, whatever. Right. Do the same thing with real estate because what is it like when you're projecting your future out 10, 15, 30, 20, 30 years from now, if, as long as your dollar cost averaging into real estate, you're buying a little bit here. Sure, you might pick up a couple at three, four percent rates like I did. And okay, yeah, you got some at five or six or seven now, but over time, you're going to accumulate way more wealth than if you would just sat on the sidelines and waited. Because, and that, especially now, like I'm hearing it from both sides of, oh, I'm waiting to get back in the stock market. You know, stock market's down. I'm waiting to like invest. This is where the opportunity is, is when everybody is fearful, right? And, and Warren Buffett said, be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. And you just have to know like what side, because yeah, the interest rates are high. So what does that do? It's pushing people out of the market. They don't even want to do deals. That's the best time to find deals because no, your, your competition is limited because they're afraid of the freaking interest rate. Yeah. And like you said, you could always finance out earlier. So. I would say uh, don't wait to invest, invest and wait. And just remember it's a long-term game. It's not a get rich quick scheme. Awesome advice. I, I, that's probably gonna be the clip that we circulate to get everybody on the episode. Cause that's exactly right. This is supposed to be a long-term wealth building process. And all three of us are here to help you engage with that process as best we can. So Ryan, can't thank you enough for making time coming on the show today. Safe travels as I know you're headed to Austin tomorrow, but sincerely, thank you very much for sharing all your wisdom with our guests and uh, looking forward. If, if you ever are going to put out any content that you feel is relevant to this community, we will always plug it and share it away. So please continue to stay in touch. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Yeah, Talk to you soon.